0: Well, good morning to you. If we haven't met yet, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Anchor. Uh, And we're glad that you guys are here. We hope you've had a fun summer so far. Maybe you got away. Maybe you have plans uh, moving forward. Maybe you're just surviving. That's okay. Uh, We are glad that you are here on a Sunday morning hanging out with us at Anchor. Uh, If you've been here for the last two weeks, you know we've been in a series called Doxology. Doxology. And it's interesting, uh, when we talk about doxology, when we talk about music, when we talk about worship, um, you'd think we would talk more about songs than we did the first couple weeks of this series. Uh, two weeks ago, Brian talked about what does it mean to worship, and, and I really worship as a, as a whole aspect of every part of our life. And then last week, we had Pastor Andre Winston come and hang out with us and give a great word for the week. Um, And he talked about what does it look like to look around the room and say, who's here? And and more importantly, who isn't here? I just think this, when we come in on a Sunday morning, I don't know about you, but I gravitate towards my friends, I gravitate towards the people I'm familiar with and comfortable, but sometimes I have a, I, I feel like God has pressed in on my heart to ask this question, as I look around the room, who isn't here that needs to be? So I think that's a, that's a powerful thing that I took away from Winston's message last week. Um, but this week, we are going to talk about songs. Uh, songs are interesting, right? There's a weird life cycle to songs. And I was a, I was a music major in college. Uh, music is really subjective. And so some songs become popular right away. Like it's a, it's a hit. You hear it on every radio station that you tune to. And you don't know why. It's just become very popular. Other songs, it takes... Years, decades even, before they become well-known or before they hit their popularity moment. And then other songs, it seems, take on a life of their own. One song that's taken on a life of its own was originally written in 1945. Uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein, who wrote a great deal of musicals, wrote the musical Carousel. And in this musical Carousel, one of the songs that they wrote is a song called You'll Never Walk Alone. It's a simple song that gained popularity almost instantly because of its ease to be sung and its inspirational words at a time when the world desperately needed inspiration. Right? The world was coming out of World War II, a time period so dark that it caused many around the world to say, never again will we do this. And so this song was well known, and it had these inspirational words of, of when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high, and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, although your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. It was really well known, artists covered it in the 50s, and then in the 60s, um, it kind of gained new life. There was a small band out of the town of Liverpool, England. Uh, Liverpool's main claim to fame is that's where the Beatles came from, um, and a song, a, a band out of Liverpool wrote this, or covered, You'll Never Walk Alone. One of Liverpool's other claims to fame is they have one of the well, most well-known, most storied, and what I personally believe is best uh, soccer teams in the world in Liverpool FC. And so in the 60s, as fans would be filing into the stadium called Anfield, much like today, music, popular music at the time would be playing over the loudspeakers before the match. And in the 60s, you know, Liverpool was doing well. The song was doing well. And so it forged this unique partnership where before, eventually it became a, a tradition. Right Before each game, you'll never walk alone was played. And then before each game, the fans would sing, you'll never walk alone in unison. And if you've never seen that moment, if you've never seen a full stadium of Anfield filled to the brink, all singing, arms around each other, you'll never walk alone, it's a it's a goosebumps moment. You see, it became this tradition. And as the team went through normal ups and downs that sports teams do, and that song remained a constant, it became this unifying thing for the fan base. And then in 1989, it actually took on a much deeper significance as well. You see, a group of Liverpool fans had went to an away match that week, and due to a, a combination of really bad factors, uh, poor crowd control, poor gate control, poor stadium manufacturing, poor signage, um, there was a, a panic And 96 fans who went to that away match didn't come home that day. At the vigil, at the vigils for those fans, most of them young men, you'll never walk alone was sung. It took on a new significance. See, when we sing together, I believe this, it brings us together. When we sing together, it brings us together. And so You'll Never Walk Alone has, has what started as this tiny song in the musical carousel has now become literally an anthem from one of the largest fan bases in the world. It has seen them walk through triumphs and deep tragedies. And it's, it's become so well known. It's taken on this life of its own, right? There's a German soccer team, actually, that, that plays and sings this song before every match as well. I'd be willing to bet that You'll Never Walk Alone is probably tattooed on more people's bodies than any other song. It's become this significant moment. So you look at this and you go, why? Why has it taken on the significance? Was it, you know, stunningly well written? Not particularly. Like, it's a good song. Rodgers and Hammerstein know what they're doing, but it's not stunningly well written. But I believe this, that when we sing together, it unifies us in ways that few other things do. See so this with soccer teams, with national anthems, and yes, even with the church. I actually believe this, especially in the church. There's something special about when we gather together in the church and, and God's presence is here with us, that it unifies us in a way that, that soccer teams can only hope to poorly replicate. And we see this in the, in the history of the people of God, right? Throughout the history of the people of God, you see that, that there's this time where we sing together in moments of, of delight, in moments of bravery being needed, in moments of sorrow, in just everyday moments. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, Jehoshaphat, who's the leader of Israel's army, was marching the army into battle, and he made what I believe to be a curious tactical choice. When he's constructing his army, and he's having them decide who's going to be in the front to march, he puts the singers in the front of the army. Now, I'm, I'm a musician. I'm not a cool musician. I was a clarinet player. Um, and... I love, I love our musicians. I have many friends that are, that are music directors at churches that are worship pastors. I love them. I don't know if the guys in skinny jeans and long tees are who I'm putting to lead the army into battle. Like, I just, like, I'm like, can we get the football team and not the marching band? If we're going into battle, are we sure we need people who look like me to be in the front and be your strong fighters? Uh, but it's interesting. I think he knew and he listened well to God that that unity was so important. That unity of going and having that singers out in front and singing together. We see when Joshua is trying to put the city of Jericho under siege, he listens to this curious command from God and marches his army around the city. He doesn't use siege weaponry, just marches around it, playing instruments and singing praises to the Lord. And on the seventh day, the walls of the city fall. Jesus in the New Testament has upset uh, some church leaders, as Jesus is wont to do. And uh, his supporters of Jesus are singing praises and crying out. And, And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the church leaders at the time, are trying to silence the people. And Jesus looks at them and he says this, Even, even if you were to silence the people, surely the rocks would cry out. See, there's something significant about when we get together and sing. I actually believe this, that singing together, coming together, and singing together is one of the most unifying things we can do. But there's something we have to hit, and I've hit it before, and it's so important we're going to keep saying it, and that's this, unity is not uniformity. A unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is a cult, right? Like the idea that everyone comes in looking different and comes out looking the same, that's a cult, That's not what church should be. That's not what following Jesus is. Unity says this, we all look different, we all act different, we're all wired different, we have different gifts, passions, personalities, and there's a beauty in that when we come together in spite of our differences. We can be unified and not look exactly the same, and I believe that's what it should be. And so today we're going to talk about what does it look like to be unified in these moments together at church when we sing. I just want to kind of name something up front. We don't do, you know, we don't have a band here because we think it's going to be a big draw. We don't do live music because we're like, okay, we're going to bring people in, entertain them, and then trick them into listening to this talk. Like, it's not, it's not that we don't dim the lights because we're like, okay, like it's going to feel like a, con- no, that's not, that's not our heart. We dim the lights, one, because we're like, we want people to be able to be as free to express themselves in whatever way they can, and we're going to limit distractions. We do music and we sing together because, like I said, the people of God have always sung together. And we think that there's something significant when we still do so. And so today, we're not going to do the typical, you know, here's the three points about this. We're going to talk about a whole host of ways that you can express yourself when we sing together. And again, we want to create an environment where you feel comfortable expressing yourself in whatever way God puts on your heart. And always when we do a talk, we want to make sure that we ground it in Scripture, that we ground it in the Bible. And so we're going to be in the book of Psalms a lot today. Because the book of Psalms is actually the best guide that I believe we have in the Bible for what do songs look like. The book of Psalms is a collection of poems and songs by various authors that have been written down. And some scholars will look at the book of Psalms and they'll actually separate it into five kind of chapters or categories. Some scholars would even go so far as to say that those five sections of Psalms actually line up perfectly with the themes of the first five books of the Old Testament. The, the idea why I share that is this, is just like that favorite indie band that I have and you might have that painstakingly constructed the track list of their album so it all flowed together and all makes sense. I believe this, that there is intention behind the creating and curating of the book of Psalms. That there is intention and there is heart behind how that was written. In the book of Psalms, we find a few different types of psalms or poems. There's praise. There's psalms of wisdom, which is we sing wise sayings to help us remember them. Uh, royal, where we celebrate God as king, thanksgiving, and even lament. Now, as I, as I shared from this stage before, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church that I loved dearly, but was pretty uh, stoic in its worship. The men wore suits. They stood in an athletic stance, feet shoulder-width apart, Maybe you had your chest out and sang in a deep voice. As the church modernized, the men stood in khaki pants and awkwardly mumbled the songs. Um, It wasn't a place where there was demonstrative worship, and that's the background that I come from. I think it's really important to know that that's where I'm starting from, because I think that's where a lot of you are starting from. Brian and I actually had a conversation where he asked me this. He's like, hey, do you think we should have Pastor Andre teach on expressions in worship? And Pastor Andre comes from a faith tradition that is very expressive, very charismatic in, in his worship. And I think there's a lot that we have to learn from that. But I said, I, th- I think the congregation is, is, is probably in a starting place similar to me. <laughs> where you feel awkward when we talk about expressing in worship. Where, like, you got a little bit tense. Where you're like, are you going to make me stand up? Am I going to have to say anything? I'm going to sit. I'm going to stay here. And, like, you can't make me move. Like, that's my, that's my starting place, too. And so, like, if you're a little awkward or hesitant or uncomfortable as we're talking about expressions of worship, like, no, one, I'm with you. If you're ahead of me, like, I love that you're here. You're in the room. We need you. Um, but we're going to start, start kind of over here. We're going to work our way over there. But we're going to start over here with some things I think all of us can resonate with. And the first one is this. When we talk about different expressions, I want us to look at Psalm 46, verse 10. It'll be on the screen. It says this. He, being God, says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Those of you who got tense when I talked about expressions in worship, like, take a, take a deep breath. Like, be still. I think it's interesting that being still is an expression of worship. I don't know about you, but I look back on my life, especially pre-COVID, it was busy. How many of us were working 50 to 60 hours a week counting commute times? How many of us were driving kids from school to practice, to activity, to lesson, to practice, eating dinners in the car? How many of us would listen to podcasts or music 24-7? When I ran out of podcast content when COVID hit, I realized I'm not good at being quiet. Like, I'm not good at being still. Like, that silence unnerved me, and I was like, oh, there might be something wrong with me. I think sometimes our lives are so busy that God has called us to come in on a Sunday morning and just be still. Some people look at this passage and they say, oh, that's for quiet time, not for, not for singing together. And it's like, no, it's, it's for singing together. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, it actually says this. It was written to the director of music. These are instructions for corporate worship, for together worship, together singing of be still. I think a lot of times we complain that we're not able to hear God, and he's actually talking to us. We're just so busy, and we're not still enough, we can't hear him. It's interesting, if you, if you read the verse, and we can throw that verse back up on the screen maybe, um, where it says, be still and know that I am God, it says this, I will be exalted. I love that in this moment, God actually says this, that he will be exalted, and it's not dependent on our expression. That we can't, like it's not on us to be expressive in the right way to exalt God. He says, I'm going to be exalted no matter what I've put on your heart to do. Another expression that we see is this, and, and we're starting to veer into a little uncomfortable territory, hang with me. Psalm 95.6 says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We're not used to bowing. We're not used to kneeling. Right, like this act, this idea of, of, of being down on our knees in a, in a public setting, in a public place. Some of you are cringing, and you're like, when's he going to stand up? Like, this is uncomfortable for me, and I'm not kneeling. Right, like that's, that's where some of you are, because we don't do this. We don't have this moment in our culture where we bow down. I was trying to think about the last time that I, I bowed in a, in a social interaction, and it was seven years ago when I was um, visiting some churches that we partnered with in South Korea and in Japan. Because there's a cultural paradigm there. We don't have this cultural thing. Right? Like I think a lot of times when we think about kneeling, when we think about bowing, we look and in, in Old Testament, even in New Testament, there were kings that demanded that you bow to them. And you had no agency in selecting your king. We elect our leaders, right? We have agency. We have a voice in who represents us. This idea of a king who we must bow to or or they're going to be angry, like that's just not in our cultural paradigm the way that it was for the people who first read this in Scripture. But at the same time, I don't think that this is just an instruction for those who lived in those cultures. I think that there's some times where, where you can be so overwhelmed by your own brokenness, so overwhelmed by your own inadequacy, so overwhelmed by the goodness and the graciousness of this all-powerful God who says, I love you, there's no other response but to kneel or bow down. See that some of, our, some of our vocalists are, are overcome in the moment and they fall down to their knees. Sometimes, though, right, we come in on a Sunday morning and, and things aren't going well. Something's happened in our life. Something hard, something difficult. This came through a season that felt like it was filled with that. And so we come in seeking comfort. Psalm 42 is filled with with longings and lamentations. My soul is downcast is a phrase that's repeated time and time again. And there are times that I think we are called as people of God to come together and grieve or lament together corporately. There's a, there's a group of students I know that on their normal youth group night a few weeks ago, um, youth group looked a little bit different. They, they sat in a large circle and they talked about the life of a friend of theirs, a classmate of theirs who'd been taken far too soon from this world. But it's interesting. If you read the end of Psalm 42, and we can put that verse back up on the screen, it says this, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That group of students who who gathered together to, to lament and mourn the loss of a peer far too soon, many of them that Sunday morning were in the crowd at the church singing praises. I'm overwhelmed by that faith. This idea that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of one of the hardest things we could ever experience in this life, that they are still saying, God, you are good. Even if I don't see it, God, you are good. I love Psalm 42, my soul's downcast, but still put your hope in God. I think this, that if you're coming in seeking comfort on a Sunday morning, I'm so glad you're here. This is the place for you. Like, this is, above all else, this has to be the place for you. It's okay. We we only let broken people in, right? (laughs) Like, it's okay if you're coming in on a Sunday and you feel like your brokenness is showing more than you're comfortable with. That's okay, I've been there, and I work here. Like, it's okay, this has to be the place where we come in and be able to seek comfort. But can I ask you this? Because I've seen this work in my life. If you're in a spot where you're coming in and seeking comfort, will you still engage in the songs that morning? Whether it's being still, whether it's saying the words, whether it's praying, that maybe your heart will believe the words on the screen that you feel are aspirational and you're not there yet. I just think that something happens when we lean in like that that when we realize that no matter how hard life is in the midst of it, we still see the goodness of God and the healing that only he can bring. It takes us to gratitude. Psalm 40 says this, He lifted me out of the sliming pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Gratitude. I, uh, where am I? How many of you guys are parents? Okay, parents, raise keep your hands up. Parents, also if you're a caretaker of some kind, right? Teacher, nanny, um, preschool worker. Okay, All right. hands down. Um, when the kids that are in your charge show gratitude, it makes a huge difference in your attitude, right? Well, my five-year-old is sassy, and boy, he can be sassy lately. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I don't feel appreciated, right? Like it, it hurts my heart sometimes where I'm like don't you know this laundry list of everything we do for you that you just take for granted. But when he says, "Dad, thanks for getting me water." "Dad, thanks for this bunk bed." That I just like it's just super fun and and I know I said thank you 2 weeks ago when you built it, but like thank you. Like, "Dad, I'm so glad you read me stories every other night." Like, "Thanks for doing that." Like it makes a huge difference in my heart. And here's the cool thing about God. like God doesn't need our gratitude to change his heart or his mood because he's so much more powerful than that. But I think he appreciates it. I think he appreciates our gratitude when we look and say, God, thank you. Like, God, thank you for, for this place for us to gather in today. God, thank you for the family that I have. God, thank you for the good things that I do have in my life. And I think out of gratitude comes what we can call celebration. Uh, those of you that were here last week, you heard Pastor Winston talk about Celebration and how culturally we celebrate a lot of things, but it seems like sometimes we don't celebrate inside the church. And when we talk about worship, there's something I think is important to grasp, which is this. A friend of mine said it this way He said, What gets your attention gets your affection. What gets your affection gets your heart. And you worship what gets your heart. I think this we're all worshiping something. Like some of them. Young adults, the the men now, the boys that I grew up with, who are like, singing's not cool, or or that, whatever. Like, they're arm-in-arm around each other at a Sounders game, singing at the top of their lungs. I'm like, when did singing become cool again? Like, the same people who are like, ah, man, those people who put their hands up in church, like, they're kind of weird, or like, dancing's a little bit weird. I'm like, you're dancing for TikTok views. Like, I don't... Something weird has happened here, and I think it comes to this. It comes to what has our heart. When it comes to celebration, I think a lot of times it's easier to celebrate a sports team that, like, I love sports. Love sports. I talked about Liverpool at the beginning. Uh, When they won Champions League recently, it was a huge, like, month for me. But I think it's easier for us to celebrate sports because as fans, we sometimes feel like we had something to do with it. We didn't. I promise we didn't. But, like, we did. Like, we sat in the right spot on the couch. Um, We didn't wash the jersey. Um, You know, or or whether it is those, those, you know, social media trends or even our own celebrations, the things that we find easy to get out of our shell about, easy to get out of our comfort zone about, I think it's because it's easy for us to celebrate and look and say, look at what we did. I think, actually, in the church, we're called to do the opposite. We're called to celebrate and say, look at what God did in spite of us. I just think this, like, we have so much to celebrate. Psalm 107 is filled with these, these verses, these lyrics about celebration. It talks about the freedom that God has given every single person who has said yes to him. And I just think this, like, what would it look like for us to be a, a people that, it's, that, that are more comfortable stepping out of our comfort zone? That are more comfortable when God leans in on us in a moment in a worship song where we're like, can I clap? Like, yes, I can clap. How many of you, if you've ever been in a a, a sports arena, right, where like a last second shot goes in at the buzzer and you hear in a basketball arena filled with 20,000 fans this huge rah and this clapping and this applause and this yelling, it gets, it's a goosebumps moment. I just think this, like there are so many people that come in at church on a Sunday morning and it's like, I thought you had something to celebrate, but I don't see you celebrating. I just think this too often. I'm guilty of not leaning into those moments, those celebrations that God has given me because I'm too insecure. Because I'm too in my head. Because I go, well, I don't... Again, I'm the weird clarinet guy. I can't be the weird hand guy in church too. Like I just... We got to pick one and I don't want either. And I, like, again, like, I, I get stuck in my head where I start think, worrying, what, what are people going to think about me? What are people going to say about me? And I don't listen to God. I listen to the small, insecure voice in my head that says, don't do this, John. And I forget to listen to the voice in my heart where God says, no, I have freed you, and that is worth celebrating. What would it look like for Anchor to be a Place where when people come in on a Sunday morning, they see people celebrating? I get so wonder that sometimes people are like, I don't know if your life's that different because we're not, we're not acting like it. So what does celebrating in a, in a worship moment, in a gathering look like? Psalm 47 1 says this, it says, clap your hands all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. So I just think this, can we, can we lean in on that? Can we be the people that when, when like, we're like, can I clap? Like yes, we can clap. Can we be the moments where like, I kind of want to yell because I'm excited. Like yes, you can do that. And there's one more expression of worship that I want us to get to uh, before we close today and if B still was over here, in, in, in the comfort level of John, this one's all the way over here. Could talk about dancing. Now, some of you grew up in churches where, like, you weren't allowed to dance. Your church was the town from Footloose. Um, but Psalm 149.3 says this. It says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. Again, John's comfort level, we're, we're, we're like in the, we're in the office wing over there. I don't dance. Like, I am I think my heritage is Norwegian, like, North Scandinavian. Like, apologies to anyone. Those dances aren't cool. <laughs> like, I don't have rhythm. When I did jazz band, it was hard. Like, I love jazz music, and I'm, like, on one and three, and I'm like, no, you got to be on two and four. It's like, this feels bright. It wasn't. That was a music joke for, like, five people in the room. Um, I remember in high school we would have school dances and we would have two a year. You'd have one in the fall and one in the spring and they got called different things. And I remember I went to school dances even though I didn't dance because that's what you did. Remember I would bring a date to a school dance because that's what you did. Remember I'd get to the school dance, we'd take the picture beforehand and then I'd stand awkwardly on the side of the gym and talk because that's what I did. And remember, I would take these girls to dances that I had had a crush on or something. And afterwards, I'd talk to them like, hey, you have fun? No. I'm like, why not? They're like, ah, just, yeah, I just did not it. it took me longer than I'm proud to admit that the reason they didn't have fun is like their date stood on the side awkwardly the entire time because I let the voice of insecurity rule in my head. Well, let that voice carry above all else where what if I, I am going to look silly? So what will people say when I look silly? What if people are going to judge me? What if people are going to make fun of me? What if she makes fun of me? And I didn't realize that, like, I blew up my own chances already by just sitting on the sides. I remember senior year, I went to prom with a good friend of mine, and we were just friends, and I don't know, prom felt different. And maybe it was because it was my last chance at a school dance, and Maybe it's because it was in Seattle and not in the school gym in Paulsbow. But like a a, a switch flipped. Like I remember we went to a nice dinner with a a large group of our friends. Like a switch flipped when I was there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to dance. And I did and I looked so goofy. But here's the thing, no one made fun of me. Like I was friends with all the band kids. We all looked goofy dancing. Like none of us were cool. And like I just remember like that was one of the most fun dances I ever went to in high school because I got over myself. I got over the inhibitions I had, I got over my insecurities. I just said, no, like we're gonna go for it. I just think this, like, too often in worship, I listen to that voice of insecurity in my head. I don't know a lot of you are in that same spot. We're gonna have the band come up as we close. I just think this can I encourage you to say no to that voice of insecurity to who cares how goofy you think you're going to look like if god's calling you to move during a worship moment like you can move like again this is the church where we wear flip-flop shorts and baseball jerseys like we're okay with dancing here like we it's fine there's no formality here and i just think this that so often we we miss out on a really cool moment that god has for us as an individual and us as a collective community because we're so concerned with what we think about ourselves what others can think about us like that's me. Like I'm right there. So that's also your story. Like I'm here with you. We'll we'll walk through this together. I can't. I can't close out this series without asking this question, though. Why do we worship God? Like God doesn't need it. I think it's easy from an outside perspective to sit there and, and say, okay, do we worship because God is this all-powerful, angry, vengeful God, and and he demands worship with our whole bodies, and if we don't comply, then he's going to punish us. It's not, that's not true. God loves us. Why do we worship? Why am I up here saying we worship with our, with our voice, with our head, with our heart, with our whole body, even to the point of dancing, and I have to tell you, as a broken person, the, the logic that I've come to is this, is it is the only logical response. And it takes a lot for me as, like, your systems finance logic guy to say that the only logical response can sometimes include dancing. But I think it does. I think it does. I think when we look at our lives, when I look at my life and I see the things that God has rescued me from, especially myself, when I look at my life and I see the ways that God has kept me from harm, when I look at my life and see how screwed up things get when I do it on my own and how much better his way is and the freedom that he offers to me, there's no other response. When God knows every intimate thing about me including all the stuff I don't want anyone to know and God looks at me and says even with that I love you what other response is there what other response do we have but to worship this all powerful God who made the universe who made this huge thing that we're just starting to explore but says I know the number of hairs on your head and I love you you're here today, you need to know this, that God loves you so much. You are made in his image. He says you are wonderfully and fearfully made, and yeah, he knows about your brokenness. He knows about my brokenness. He had a plan for that. He sent Jesus, his son, to live on this broken place called earth, and we know it's broken, don't we? Jesus lived a perfect life, and he he died for us. He was punished for us. Three days later, he rose again. Because of that, we have freedom. We have a chance to have a relationship with God for eternity. I think that some of you are here today, and that's news to you. Again, I just want to answer that question that's probably rattling on your head. Does that mean me, John? You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the messes I've made. You don't know the choices I've made, the people I've hurt. And you're right, I don't, but God does. He says, yes, that means you too. some of you, I think God's asking you to say yes to that today. He's saying, say yes to me. Stop trying to do it your own way. Say yes to me and the freedom and the, and the relationship that I have given to you. Will you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, but before I pray, I'm going to talk to you about what I'm going to pray over us, because I think it's really insignificant. First thing is this, is I'm going to pray that for those of you that are here that haven't said yes to Jesus, that haven't said yes to God, that haven't said yes to that message of hope and freedom, that you would, that today would be your day. But I think there's a lot of us in this room that have a different takeaway. You're here and you're like me, and you said yes to Jesus and that freedom and that hope that he brings, maybe last week, maybe 20 years ago. And like me, you get in your head in this space. Maybe you don't even know that you do. You come in, you check the boxes that you normally do. You're like, okay, I'm here. We're seeing, we're going to stand. I got it. Cool. And we go out and we leave on a Sunday morning. And maybe you're like me, and maybe God's pressing it on your heart, and you don't know it, but uh, pressing it on your heart sometimes is this Should I put my hands up? Should I kneel? Should I clap? Should I yell? Should I jump? Should I dance? I think that's God pressing in on your heart. We're gonna we're gonna sing a song together now, and and before we do that though, I want you to be asking yourself, like God, what response have you given my heart? Could be anything, all the way from 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 be still, from bowing, from from showing gratitude, from celebrating, from clapping, all the way over here to dancing. Right? I think God's put something on your heart, and during this time of prayer, will you ask Him what that is? And then can you do this? Again, we dim the lights so they make it easier for you and for me. When I go into the crowd, can you say yes to what God's pressed in on your heart for this next song? Church, will you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. God, it's incredible that you created everything and you love us. God, it's incredible that you know our brokenness and still love us. God, we thank you for the fact that you say that there's nothing we can do to make you love us more or less. So God, I pray for those who are, who are deciding whether or not to take that step of faith, to say yes to you and the freedom that only you can bring. God, would you lean in on their hearts today? Would today be the last day of them trying to do it on their own? And God, I pray for those who, who have heard a, a, a leading from you, how to express themselves in worship in this next song. God, would they have the courage to say yes to that as well? God, I thank you for the way you've created us that we get to worship you with our mind, our heart, our mouth, and yes, God, our whole body. So God, we thank you for this. Your people gathered together singing praise to you in your name. Amen.